0: May 1st, 2011, First Church and Parish in Dedham, Einstein's Brain by the Reverend Raleigh Weaver. A few years ago, NPR did an interesting piece on Einstein's stolen brain. Maybe you heard it. Well, that radio essay and the touted book, The Other Brain, churned in me some old questions from my days as a teacher for children with behavioral and emotional impairments. Working in a classroom all day for nearly 15 years with children who for the most part appeared relatively normal, physically and cognitively, but exhibited little if any ability to filter their emotions, left me to wonder what makes us all so vastly different. What makes some of us able to curb our difficult emotions and others respond without thinking in temper? What makes some of us manipulate situations to our own liking while others of us just go along? What makes some of us bounce back from difficult experiences while others of us remain stuck in flashbacks of life trauma? What makes two people growing up in the same family achieve very different levels of education or social acceptance in life? Working with students who had otherwise engaging personalities erupt in violent rage or those who were otherwise quite intelligent and academically engaged, who withdrew completely from group discussions about subjects they had mastered, puzzled the teacher in me that was trying to help them all be their best selves and open fully to life. If I'm honest, these questions have also been mine because I was born with an awful temper, coupled with a shyness. And so the incongruent parts of my personality and my lacking academic abilities have left me to struggle the better part of my life to sometimes bolster and sometimes quell the things my brain does naturally. I am a trained behaviorist. In other words, at my core, I believe that most human and animal behavior can be explained in terms of conditioning, and that many things considered disorders can be altered by a change of behavior. You may have noted that noticed this in some of my sermons, how I generally offer behavioral solutions to world weariness. Take, for example, the Laugh Yoga I suggested to you on Folk Music Sunday, and how shifting our body to laughter, even when we are just falsely making ourselves laugh, can alter our mood for the better, and thus change our outlook on the day. This is the core of what I believe about human development. If we change our behavior, we can change our life. I believe that old adage, practice makes perfect, is true for everything. With practice, we can expand our lives. With pretending and developing and exploring, we grow and become more. Now you might be asking yourself why I'm talking about behavior in a sermon about the brain and I will admit that it is probably because before I examined my beliefs through the lens of the other brain I categorized every explanation for emotional and cognitive impairments and development as either behavioral or mental. I know that in the clinical world that is a great oversimplification And yet, when you think about it, it must start somewhere, right? This is what surprised me about Einstein's brain. If you missed the story in the news, or you didn't read Dr. Field's book, you may have missed that Dr. Thomas Harvey, on April 18, 1955, while working at Princeton University Hospital, performed an autopsy on Dr. Albert Einstein, at which time, He stole Einstein's brain. This fascinated me when I first heard it because in stealing Einstein's brain, Dr. Harvey indicated that he was certain that the most important signifier in Einstein's body, the place where genius was found, was in his brain. He felt so strongly about this that he hid Einstein's brain away in a formaldehyde, for forty years until someone could examine it and find out for sure. I learned in my research that the postmortem exploration of the brain of a genius is not all that uncommon. Still nobody is quite sure that Einstein wanted this for his brain and Dr. Har- Harvey felt so confident in the vital importance of giving future pathologists a chance to examine the foremost genius of the 20th century, that he went so far as to steal it. He was even so obstinate in his belief that he accepted being fired from his position rather than return it. As a result, there are many proofs of neuroscience that have used Einstein's brain. While it was generally the same size and weight as all other brains, Einstein's brain was missing some of the dividers between different hemispheres, which may explain some of his extraordinary intelligence. With my apologies to any neuroscientists in the room, I will admit, as our centering thought suggests, that there are so many intricate parts of the human brain, I have difficulty wrapping my brain around all of them. So please forgive my oversimplification. But the way I understand it, there are both structural differences in Einstein's brain and also cellular ones. In the 1980s, a Berkeley professor named Marion Diamond persuaded Thomas Harvey to send her sections of Einstein's brain and as she compared the cells against, against 11 average men of the near same age, what she found was that Einstein's brain tissue had as many neurons as any other brain. What she found that was different, though, was even more surprising. For centuries, scientists and doctors alike had viewed that the non neuronal cells to simply act as glue for the brain. The average 45 to 80 year old brain that was studied averaged one glial cell for every two neurons. But in Einstein's brain, there was at least one glial cell per neuron, making Einstein's brain loaded with nearly twice as many non neuronal cells. Glial cells in the brain are sometimes called astrocytes because when they were first found, the dyeing technique that was used made them look like stars. Only since the 1990s have scientists discovered that these non-neurological brain cells actually retransmit intercellular waves similarly to neurons. While still not completely understood, scientists have found that glial cells are active in healing and are in fact the only cells in the human body that continue to be created and divided all throughout our lives. It may seem funny for your minister to be standing up here on Sunday morning and lecturing to you on brain function, but I will tell you that this new development in brain science is what not only confirmed my strictly behaviorist view of the world, but expanded it. There is so much we don't know about the human brain. There is so much we still have to learn, but the one thing I do know... I am quite certain of is that our brains are not fixed, unchanging organs in our bodies, but they can grow and change all of our lives. When I was diagnosed as a child with dyslexia, I found it very difficult to read or write and do math. But with time and persistence, I have stretched my brains in many different directions, and I know for certain that not one of us is limited by the brain we were born with. Our brains continue to grow and change all of our lives, and so can we. With conditioning, with practice, with persistence and determination, everything that we believe to be certain is ultimately changeable. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter how fixed things seem right in this moment, there are infinite possibilities for growth and renewal. We have all heard the story of how Sir Isaac Newton sat beneath an apple tree and in watching a falling apple suddenly realized the mathematical formula for gravity. For hundreds of years, Newton's linear understanding of gravity was the way that scientists and mathematicians made sense of the world. Einstein, at 28 years old, grasped the idea that nothing could travel faster than the speed of light and altered that worldview forever. This and several hundreds of calculations over decades more enabled him to design a new more curved understanding of how gravity actually works. I bring this up not because, to Newton's brain, and to centuries of mathematicians, astronomers, and scientists, the laws of relativity outlined a worldview that explained the universe as a simple cause and effect with some linear motion. In many ways, I believe we are still trained to view our lives as behavioral emotional, physical, and psychological development in that same linear fashion. How often have you said to yourself or someone else, I'm just not good at that, or my brain is getting old, I can't remember that or do that, or that's just not my strong suit, or that's just the way I am, get used to it. Well, I'm suggesting today that none of our limiting expectations in life are true. As small children, we are taught that things, there are things about ourselves we cannot change, things we're good at and things we aren't. Over all the years of our lives, we learn to train ourselves in that same linear fashion. And so today I ask, if you could expand that trajectory and view it non-linearly, what might change? What might change if you turn off the limiting right and wrong voices of your childhood, or the success and failure voices of your mistakes, or your failures? How much faster could you travel? How much farther could you go? Thanks to the gift of Einstein's logic, knowledge and imagination, we know mathematically things are not as gravitationally simple as we may visualize. And thanks to his stolen and examined brain, we know our brains are not as limited, static, or simple as they appear to be. As the scientific minds continue to unpack the realities of Einstein's brain, I want to suggest there is a more philosophical, theological, behavioral, and perhaps personal question we can ponder. And that, my friends, is this. If the world can never be exactly in the same time or space that you perceive it to be, and your own brain is not as simple as you have cut it out to be, what unimagined possibilities might await you? And might it be possible for you to stay open to that brain and heart expanding change your whole life long?